Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. Women scientists have literally changed the world. Their contributions have advanced medical research and contributed to the engineering and scientific achievements at NASA. But still, women are far outnumbered by men in the STEM workforce. Today, we're listening back to a conversation I had a few months ago about what it's like to be a woman in the science fields with two Minnesota scientists of color. Each has a unique background, and they have very different jobs. But they have this in common. They both overcame obstacles to advance in their careers. I spoke with Bridget Shannon, a chemist and a business development manager at 3M's Transportation and Electronics Business Group. She was the first African-American woman to earn a Ph.D. from the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry at the University of Arkansas. Bridget is also the president of the National Organization for the Professional Advancement of Black chemists and chemical engineers. A little later in the program, we'll hear from Jay Shree Sait. She is a corporate scientist at 3M and the company's first chief science advocate. Jay Shree holds 80 patents for a variety of innovations. I started my conversation with Bridget talking about her role as a chemist at 3M. I asked her to describe her job and what a typical day looks like for her. I lead a team um, within our advanced materials division. So I lead a team that um, is working on commercializing a product that helps with manufacturing plastics for film that goes into packaging. Mm -hmm. So a typical day for me um, is really is more of the business development side now. So it's a lot of meetings and uh, meeting with people individually, meeting with the technical teams to understand the work that they're doing. So I get to see um, a lot of the uh, the structures that they're putting together, the formulations that they're uh, using to make the products. And then we work on the strategy um, to move forward with the development of that product. And is it fun to do that? Uh, I love it. I, what do you like about it? Um, I, I love that it's um, highly technical. So I get that technical rush from being in that environment. Um, and I also love working with the people. I have an amazing team. Uh, I, I love the group and it's just fun. I look forward to going to work every day and working with them. And in previous jobs or maybe even in this one, you know, I mentioned I've seen photos and videos of you uh, with goggles and, and working with machinery. Um, it, does that feel natural to you? And do you enjoy that as well? I do. So um, my path started in, in a product development role. So mm-hmm. that was me being in the lab, um, formulating and developing those products. And then I transitioned into an application engineering role, and that's more of a customer-facing role. Mm -hmm. And so that job was really cool because I got to go out to different manufacturing sites from our customers. So it was like seeing how things are made live. So it was really Mm -hmm. fun. And then uh, from that job is when I transitioned over to the business side. So the goal is to find a better way uh, to do things, to improve products so that it's just better and smarter. Absolutely. So you're in, I believe, in your 40s now, age-wise? That's correct. Uh, I, I want to know, like, what was the what was the much younger version of you like? I mean, when did you know you wanted to, to really work in science, like beyond maybe excelling in school in it? Or, or did you as a child? When I was a child, I, I loved science. I, I liked uh, the experiment parts of science. Um, I had an uncle that would always hear about these programs in the STEM community, and he would um, push me to get involved. I would do summer programs in the STEM space. 
um, in high school, uh, my science classes were fun for me. It wasn't something that I didn't like. But when I got to undergrad, it's like I started to hear that it was scary just from my peers, from other people. You didn't feel that, that but it was it was described to you as like hard and scary. That's that's correct. Right. And so because everyone kept saying that, I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't go into this space because mm-hmm. everyone is saying that it's scary and, and not to do it. And so I started to listen to him. And and I started trying to find um, everything outside of of chemistry, um, oh, no. but it just didn't feel right for me. And so I had um, I linked up with a professor who kind of took me under and gave me a work study job to work in the lab. I, he teamed me up with a mentor who was really nice. We became friends, and and so that kind of brought back the motivation and inspiration for me to continue to continued to pursue uh, chemistry. And so I went on with that. And even then, when I got my undergraduate degree, I still was not sure. Um, At the time, I thought I wanted to go into medical school. So I took a year off so that I can prepare for the MCAT. And um, when I took the year off, I got a job working. I worked in a hospital setting, and then I worked in a manufacturing site. I really loved the manufacturing job. I was like, I love this job. I could do this every day, except I, I want to do more. So in manufacturing, you're really just, um, you already have a formulation and you're just mm-hmm. processing it through, right? Okay. I wanted to be the one that came up with the formulation. So that's what motivated me to go back to school to get my PhD. So I went back to school, got my PhD in wow. organic chemistry, and the rest is history. This is, there's so much there. First of all, the way, the words we use, the way we talk about things matter, especially around children. Absolutely. Right. And then also for you, following, trusting your instinct, right? You, you knew what you liked, but you were, you were listening to the environment and maybe looking around to see who was also already doing it. Right. The, the challenge was that there was nobody like me that was doing it. So that was, that was a real challenge. Uh, I mentioned you're the first African-American woman to earn a Ph.D. from the chemistry department at the University of Arkansas. Um, so you're in graduate school. I want to hear about that experience. What were your classmates and professors saying to you along along the way? Uh, that was a very interesting experience. So when I started at the University of Arkansas in the chemistry department, I think there were like five blacks in the program. Mm-hmm. And um, during that first year, I I saw them changed their major. They were like, oh, I, I don't think I want to do this. So one person went to biology, one person just left completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so they started dropping off. And I remember um, I had an inorganic chemistry course and we had a test and I failed the test and mm-hmm. I failed it really bad. Mm-hmm. And I failed it so bad that the, a, a different professor came up to me and asked, was everything okay? And I said, yeah, everything's fine. I was like, I mean, I didn't do well on the test, but I'll make up for it later. And he was like, well, that's not how it works. Because in chemistry, you know, everything builds on top of each other. So if you don't get the one concept, it's going the to first be time. hard. Yeah, right. It's going to be hard to make up from that. So mm-hmm. he sat me down and talked to me and told me that, um, um, he said, we were rooting for you. I was like, what do you mean? He said, I've seen a lot of black people come through this program and they never make it past the first year. And so when he said that to me, that it, it got to me, right? Mm-hmm. I felt like at that point I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I'm like, okay, so I have to do this. There's mm-hmm. the, the option is not to fail. I have to pursue and persevere and get through it. Why do you think you failed that first test? Because it was, it, 
I had mm. I had this thing at the time where I you never know how the professor is going to um, write their test. Mm-hmm. So it was the very first test. The so style. I yeah. Mm-hmm. So I never study as hard because I don't really know how to study. But I usually don't really fail either. I usually mm-hmm. like may get a C or something. But this time I I got an F. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But you said you weren't alarmed. You're like, okay, okay, I, I see how, you know, this professor's style, next time I'll be ready. And so the the instructor who reached out to you, uh, how was he able to help you? Like, did you go over that test again or you yeah, went back? I, yes, he ended up connecting me with the professor because he had a relationship with that professor. Um, and then I started getting uh tutoring sessions. And we went over that concept again, just to make sure that I had it and mm-hmm. would be prepared for the next test. So it took a lot of work that I had to do. Um, I had I had to work really hard, work um, really hard and uh, spent a lot of time after hours meeting with professors to try to understand the concept in order for me to um, pass and advance forward. So it took a lot of work. But that's a, that's a concept that's very common, right? To do the the smaller groups, the, to go to the like after hours sessions. I mean, that's that's part of the, the college experience for most students. It is. But what I would say that's different is because when I would go to the um, after hours to meet with the professors, they had a set a set of hours that were like open for people to come and get help. Mm-hmm. Someone was always in there. And so (laughs) whenever it was my turn, it was like, oh, my office hours are up. I got to go teach class. And I'm like, well, when can I get on your Mm -hmm. calendar? When can I can Mm -hmm. I get in? And I never had the time. So that part was hard. And I remember talking to my support group and they were like, "Okay, you got to just go early, go an hour early if you need to. So I started sitting outside of my professor's classroom. I'm like, I'll be here when you get out of class. I'm going to get this. And, right. I, and and I had to do a lot of that. And right. then finally, they were like, okay, I, I need to get another class. And, and we started having the work, the work sessions in order to get us, you know, get to the next level. You mentioned your support group. So who was your support group? And while you're working on your PhD, who are these people? Family, friends, other students? Yes, family, other students, um, professors. My former professors, and I, I actually have a mentor that I met when I was there who had a background in chemistry, but she was um, she was in um, curriculum instruction at the time. So she wasn't really doing the chemistry, but she understood it. And so she became a really good person for me to talk to. And this is not that long ago. What, 2000? What year was this? This is like what, maybe 20 years ago? Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, your husband is also a scientist. He has a PhD in chemistry like you and also works at 3M. He's the other Dr. Shannon. How did the two of you meet? We met at a chemistry conference, uh, actually the National Organization of Black Chemists and Chemical <laughs> Engineers, pronounced no bachet. I said I wasn't going to even try, <laughs> but I'm glad you exist. <laughs> yeah, so we met at we met at a no bachet conference. He was actually working at the time. He was working um, for 3M, and he was at he was recruiting. We there was a career fair. I had heard about this conference from someone um, at a different conference. I was recruiting with my school, and I was looking for job opportunities. And they said, oh, if you're if you're a chemist and you have a chemistry background, then you should go to this conference because they they are actually looking for chemists and chemical engineers. So I was on my way to spring break um, with my girls and I said I was going to make a a pit stop into Florida to kind of check out the conference. I was only planning to go to the career fair. So when I showed up at the career fair, I saw the 3M booth because they had a really big booth, went there 
saw Simon and I started asking him questions about um, the work that he does at 3M and how could someone with my background fit within 3M. So he explained it to me, gave me this big box of post-it notes and then I left. So and then I always referred to him as the post-it notes guy. <laughs> now, I, I'm interested in this because your your home life is also, I think, interesting because you have three children, two boys and a girl, a uh, demanding career. Uh, and I'm just curious about them. Are they interested in science? What do you see in, um, you know, your, your, your sons and, and your daughter? My oldest is not interested in science. He's he's more interested in art. Mm-hmm. Um, my middle son, I think he's interested in science, but more so the engineering part. I used mm-hmm. to call him my fix-it baby because he would always try to fix things, like ter- take things apart and fix them mm-hmm. when he was younger. Um, my daughter is very interested in science. I call her my, my, my little chemist. I was like, you are a chemist. She is funny because she goes... Uh, in my kitchen, she'll just grab different things and start mixing them together and playing with them. And she makes a big mess, but it's okay because she's curious and she's exploring. So I allow her to do that and actually love when she does that. Um, she'll get her science kits and, and try to start doing things on her own. So I think she's definitely going to be a scientist. So that's the one. Because I'm thinking of like parents and maybe even some students who are listening, like, what what advice do you have to in- encourage uh, a, young, a young person, a child who their instinct is telling me, them, I'm good at this. I like this. This is fun to me. I'm curious uh, to support that and, and not send a message like, yeah, that's not for you. Yeah, I think that early, the earlier we can get to the child, the better. So if they are curious at a young age, build on build on top of that curiosity. Let them explore answer all the questions, have them look it up, have them do their own research. I tell my kids when they're asking me how stuff works, I'm like, oh, do your research, try to figure it out and let me know what you come up with. Mm -hmm. I say just continue to build on that, give them the support that they need. And it's good to have them explore different areas because they may not know you know, what they want to go into. And I would say also when you, if, if you wait until they get to middle school or high school, by that time, the society is getting to them telling them that it's scary, right? Like right. same thing that happened so, to me. So mm-hmm. get them while they're young and fearless. Mm, young and fearless. Oh, I remember that. That was a while ago. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking about scientists who are women, talking to scientists who are women and why we need more of them. Uh, why do we need more of them? What do you think, Bridget? Why is this important to d- diversify any field? Yeah, we 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 currently have a shortage of STEM talent already. And we need a diverse workforce in order to 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 remain competitive globally, right? Mm. And you have to have a those different mindsets in the room when you're when you're planning and when you're kind of building on the technology. Those those different mindsets are going to create new opportunities. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have a strong, diverse workforce. Different points of view in the room for each step of the process. Absolutely. Right. I'm talking with Bridget Shannon, a chemist uh, there at 3M. And also we're going to be talking with Jay Shri Sate in just a few minutes, a corporate scientist at 3M, as well as the company's first chief science advocate. Uh, let's take a phone call in uh, Minneapolis. Carolyn is on the telephone. Good morning, Carolyn. What did you want to tell us? Good morning. Um, I've worked in uh, publishing and in bookstores, and there's so many great books that have just come out um, with women in STEM, and I just mm. want to give a shout-out. There's a book called Never Give Up, and it's the story of Dr. Katie Carrico, who just won the Nobel Peace Prize, and that's amazing. 
And there's another book that kids have really loved, Classified, The Secret Career of Mary um, Golda Ross. And she designed airplanes and spacecraft at Lockheed Aircraft, and she was Cherokee. And it was like a really beautiful book. And then Katie Howes created this wonderful book for kids called Be a Maker. And, and, and another another great one I just want to give a shout-out is to um, uh, The Vast Wonder of the World, um, biologist Ernest Everett Just. And those are just all just fabulous, just gorgeous books that really inspire kids to look at STEM, you know, in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. And encouraging and fun way. So are these picture books uh, that you're describing? Yes. Yes. Okay. yes, they're all picture books, and they're just all beautifully illustrated and I heard your um, you know, people talk about fear. I think mm-hmm. this takes the fear away of science, of being mm-hmm. afraid. I know as a female, um, I probably had math anxiety. I've and done I a whole talk show about math anxiety. Yeah. I sure did. And, and, I, and I really wish that I had had a mentor or someone mm-hmm. to help me work through and be fearless and mm-hmm. as brave as I was with other things. But these books do that, and they're just beautiful picture books. Thank you. That, uh, that's Carolyn recommending books. What do you think about that? Is that helpful, like picture books uh, for, for young kids seeing it? Absolutely. Um, being able to imagine yourself in those spaces is very important. And so uh, the power of books, videos, and just the environment overall, I think, is very important for younger people to see. Mm. Do you have um, mentors still? Sounds like along the way you've had a lot of support, but today, who who, who are some of your mentors? Uh, I do. I, I consider Jay Shree a mentor, actually. Aww. I mean, I have a lot of mentors. My family also is still my mentors. My husband, mm-hmm. my siblings, they're they're my support gr- my support group, and so my friends. Yeah, I have a lot of mentors that I can call. And what do you need support with? Do you still need that cheering squad? I mean, do you still encou- encounter some anxiety, some fears, some doubt sometimes? No, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up, right? So All right now, okay. <laughs> right. I, I'm, I'm still growing. And so mm-hmm. I often reach out for just insight onto, am I going into the right space? Like, how do you see me versus how do I see me? There, there mm-hmm. can be some differences there. And mentors uh, play a big part in kind of helping you. Uh, see the things that you might not see about yourself and in order to get to the next level. Because you're working at a big corporation, a worldwide corporation. So there are are many uh, future accomplishments for you. And with the this organization, the National Organization for the Professional Advancement of Black Chemists and Black and Chemical Engineers, uh, you're the president of this group. Uh, What's happening there? So these are working professionals, but what are you all doing together or trying to do? Yep. So our mission is to build an imminent cadre of people of color in the uh, chemistry and chemical engineering industry. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of uh, professional development for our members. So we you look we're kind of like that hubs for supporting the workforce for supplying them. But we also build them up. We give them professional development opportunities. They have an opportunity to get jobs because we get partnerships with um, sponsors and, and other companies. They can get internships. And we also have K-12 through that we just introduced into our organization. And then we will be building upon that. We just had a STEM fest, STEM fest where they got to do a lot of hands-on ex- uh, experiments um, at our last 
conference in New Orleans. And so, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of great things to come from this organization. So follow us um, on social media or go to the website if you want to get involved. And so with the children, you're looking nationally, like where can you all show up and have an event in a community? Yes. I, I love this. Let's take another phone call as we talk about uh, the role of women uh, who are scientists and how do we encourage uh, more young people to go into a career in science, technology, engineering, or math and, and not make it feel scary, make it feel doable. Let's talk to another listener uh this one in uh amory wisconsin cameron's on the phone hi cameron hi thank you for taking my call Mm -hmm. um so i'm a dairy nutrition and production specialist so i work in the agriculture industry and Mm -hmm. i'm under 40 um and one of the things that i've noticed is that our industry both in um animal feed side and agronomy side so growing crops A lot of the veterans of the industry are men. However, they seem to be getting replaced by young women, which has been really cool to see. Just I manage our internship program as well. Um, And majority of our intern applicants are women these days. And majority of the grads with animal science or crop science degrees are young women. So that's been really cool to see. Mm, wonderful. The, a change that's happening. Are you seeing that uh, as well in the industry? Thank you, Cameron. Yes, we are seeing more women uh, get involved, more women getting into those uh, leadership roles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we are missing is more of the diversity from a cultural perspective, from a race perspective that we still need to to feel. There's still a lot of work to do with getting more women involved, but we also need to get more blacks, more Hispanics we need to we need to increase that that pipeline. Have you seen differences um, in your experience as, as a black woman and, and what you've seen maybe in some of your colleagues who are also women of color compared to, you know, to women who are white working in STEM? Do you see a difference there and how they have moved through their careers? Yes, I, I, I've seen that. There, there's like I said, there's a shortage, right, of mm-hmm. of talent in the workforce, and there are not a lot of women of colors, but there there is more women, mm-hmm. um, and so because the number is so large, it seems as if they move faster. But you know, there may be fifty women there's versus more two them. blacks, mm-hmm. right? Today, we're listening back to a conversation I had a few months ago about what it's like to be a woman in the science fields with two Minnesota scientists of color. I spoke with Bridget Shannon. She's a chemist and a business development manager at 3M's Transportation and Electronics Business Group. Bridget is also the president of the National Organization for the Professional Advancement of Black Chemists and Chemical Engineers. She has a Ph.D. in chemistry. I also spoke with Jay Shree Sait. Now, Jay Shree is a corporate scientist at 3M and the company's first chief science advocate. She joined 3M in 1993 and holds 80 patents. Yes, I said 80 patents for a variety of innovations. In 2020, she was awarded the highest achievement award by the Society of Women Engineers. She is the fourth woman and the first woman engineer to be inducted into the Carlton Society. That's 3M's Science and Innovation Hall of Fame. Jay Shree also serves on the board of the Science Museum of Minnesota and has a PhD in chemical engineering from Clarkson University in New York. 
Jayshree told me that being a corporate scientist is the highest designation you can achieve as a scientist at 3M. And she described what this role means, as well as her other role as a chief science advocate. We do this uh, research to understand the global public perception of science. And what we found is that science needed advocates because mm. people uh, didn't realize that the gadgets that they're holding or the cars that they're driving, that these are all applications of science. And uh, they didn't think that they care I should care about science. So we decided we needed to advocate for science because, as you know, science is so important. And it is also something that is central to what we do at 3M. It, it just fuels our innovation. So I was asked to be the first ever chief science advocate. So in this role, I essentially advocate for science and diversity in STEM fields to drive the innovation that we need. Wow. And um, because, yeah, if you all don't do it, then who is, right? Right? You have to do it for yourself. And then have you seen some, some positive results of that work? I think the advocacy work has been really, really rewarding. And, and people realize that, yeah, this is a need. This is something we need to do. Now, we also keep monitoring the uh, public perception of science. And what we found is during the pandemic, people mm -hmm. saw the role scientists play. Mm -hmm. And they also saw that science was so critical to delivering the vaccine. Yes. And so it was really interesting to see that skepticism was low and trust in science and scientists was the highest it had been since mm -hmm. we started tracking. And I just want to mention that because sometimes people only hear off and from a very vocal minority. But let me tell you that science was really having its moment and people really made the connections. Mm -hmm. And they also made mm -hmm. the connection of science to solving problems for the future. And we're seeing that in our uh, research as well. So this is extremely important moment in time to really advocate for science and for diversity in these fields. Mm. You uh, grew up in, in India. And so I, I'd love to hear a little about your childhood and, and, and how education was viewed within your family. Oh, I grew up on the campus of an engineering institution. Uh, my dad was a university professor, a PhD in civil engineering himself. And this was the oldest engineering college in all of Asia. Oh, wow. So all the kids knew what the expectation was of us. We just had to study hard, prepare well, and get into the hometown college. Mm -hmm. That was just it. Everybody, mm -hmm. all my classmates, we all knew that. The only problem was I never thought of myself as what I thought was a science and engineering type. Like I wasn't breaking apart toys. <laughs> I didn't care how they worked. I just wanted to play with them. I was more interested in the human context. I loved people. I wanted to help people. I wanted to make the world a better place. And unfortunately, I never could connect STEM fields with that because that's just not the way how we talked about stuff. Mm -hmm. But I ended up in engineering, uh, thanks to my parents, and um, just went but along. Now, but now you make the connection. You can see the connection Oh, now. absolutely. I right. made the connection actually much, much later in life, actually in graduate school during my PhD program. That's where I realized... What I am doing is going to help someone. And that is how late that really love for what I do uh, came about. As a PhD student. As a PhD student. And I really thought that it would have changed a lot, the way we teach, the way we track, the way we typify, the way we even talk about STEM. And I realized it hasn't. And that's why when I was asked to be the chief science advocate, that really 
fired me up because I was like, we need to talk about this context because if we don't, we are missing out on all these girls. We're missing out on all these underrepresented people who have so much more emphasis on social goals. And that's why the context is important. Don't lead and just talk about the content. Talk about the context. How scientists solve problems and how we can help others and how we can improve lives. So as you were growing up and going through college and and even now, did you see a a difference in the way um, men or boys were encouraged or, or treated as they were, you know, taking classes or moving through their careers compared to the way girls and women were, were viewed or, or talked to or, or how they performed? Yeah, when I was growing up, I never saw a single woman engineer. And this is a town full of engineers. And so there were really no women engineers to be found. I did go to his college. Uh, of course, this is telling you all that I did not make it into the hometown college. And I thought, okay, good. Now I don't have to be an engineer. <laughs> but I didn't realize how serious my parents were about it. So I ended up thousands of miles away from home in a completely different part of the country and did engineering. Lots of women there. The one thing that I, if I look back, most people thought the girls weren't serious about their education. They were just trying to get an engineering degree while the boys were trying to become engineers. Do you see the difference? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that was definitely in sort of the environment. Uh, and I only realized that when I look back. Mm-hmm. But then I went on to uh, graduate school and then I ended up at 3M. And here's where I saw that emphasis on collaboration, the sense of empowerment and that communal context of improving lives. That's where it was really something that clicked for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm so blessed that I actually went into this field because now I'm at the highest level you can attain. I've got all these awards and all of that. And every day I think about all those students that we're missing out on because of what we do as scientists and as educators mm. and not bring people in. Uh, you have more than 80 patents. I don't think I've met, I don't know, I know anybody with even one patent, but uh, tell me about what you've developed and, and secured patents for it. Yeah, so when I came to 3M, um, my PhD was actually in um, making hard diamond-like films. And when I started at 3M, I was in in the area of diaper tapes. So I went from diamonds to diapers. But I really (laughs) didn't. Also, I've never met anyone who's ever said that to me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I was just so excited to work on a product that is so important. I didn't have kids and I had never seen a diaper, Angela, because I grew up in India where they never had plastic diapers back in the day. But I was like, okay, this is something that a child wears, but the child can't tell you what they want. And so I would always think about what can make it more comfortable for them? What could make it more softer? So a lot of my patents are in the area of making diapers, diaper tapes, a softer, more conformable, more child-friendly, more user-friendly, more Less environmentally leaky. friendly. Less leaky? Uh, well, if the tapes are good, then it, <laughs> there should not be any leaks, you know. So, uh, so I've got lots of patents on, you know, keeping diapers on wiggly babies and then adhesives that go into planes and trains and automobiles and and other stuff. So a lot of uh, those. But then I also chased ideas where I thought, hey, that's something we could solve. So I have patents in many of our different technology platforms at 3M. And I've worked with many different people for many different ideas. And it's just so great to see all of that. I actually even have a patent with my husband. So we have two kids in a patent together. Okay, here comes the husband question. I thought this was a mistake in my notes. I was like, Asked 
my producer wrote, ask Jay Shree about her husband. Your husband is also a scientist at 3M, like Bridget. Uh, how did the two of you meet? Um, we met in graduate school, actually. So in my master's program, I really hit rock bottom. And I was like, Aww. what am I doing here? I wanted to improve lives. I wanted to make the world a better place. And here I am sitting modeling this thing, and I have no idea how... I'm going to help people with this. And nobody took the time to explain what I was doing and why it is important and how it does actually help people. I found that out much later in life. So I switched my projects and I went into something where I could build that context. And mm -hmm. I just had this fire in me at that point saying, yes, I am actually a good scientist. I can do this all. So I never got out of the lab. So my husband is actually my lab mate. Oh, <laughs> we had one nice. piece of equipment that I needed to use. And my option was to fight with the other student or marry him. <laughs> and I say I marry him. He says I do both. So, And you have two kids in college. You're, you're I do. Who are science Majors, so tell me about them. Uh, my son is he is in uh, uh, did an undergrad in computer science, and he's now looking into improving computing education and and on all of that. So he's in his PhD program, and my daughter's an undergrad at the University of Minnesota, and she is in sociology. So she went oh. towards social sciences, and uh, I actually think that we need more of that element of humanities and social science to make STEM what it can be and change the context of how we talk about it. So part of me says, ah, she was such a good scientist, but part of me also understands that she also mm -hmm. went into social sciences because she missed the context and the why. Why am I doing this? How is it helping people? So, so many years later, fast forward, and here we go again, the same issue continues to haunt us. And that is why I'm very vocal about the fact that we really need to talk about science differently. You're the author of a couple of books. Uh, one in particular I'd love to know more about. Uh, you're the, the author of the book, The Heart of Science, Engineering Footprints, Fingerprints, and Imprints. What's that about? Yeah, so in 2020, uh, it was, you know, a tough, tough Terrible year, for, year. Yeah, <laughs> for Minnesota and uh, for sure. And I had to really think about what my role in is in this. I'm not black, I'm not white, but I'm a highly, highly privileged South Asian immigrant highly educated, coming from a very educated family uh, with a lot of emphasis on education. And I just realized that I never educated myself on all the systemic aspects of racism that exist. And so I was, after reading everything and getting up to speed, I just felt, I felt sad. And then I felt compelled to do something. And so I took all the essays that I write on different topics like STEM and education and leadership and thought leadership and put them all together. And uh, Society of Women Engineers actually published it. And all proceeds go to a scholarship for Black, Latinx, Indigenous women in STEM. And I'm so happy to let you know, Angela, it has been a great week. You are the first people to hear about it. We have two more students this year who are pursuing uh, engineering uh, as a result of the sales proceeds. So we have four in total now. So four scholarships. Four scholarships since uh, the first book was written. I then wrote a second book after meeting the first scholar in person, a young black woman doing mechanical engineering at Georgia Tech. And, and I just meeting her, she's probably think, still thinking, who's this woman and why is she crying? <laughs> but I realized that one person can make a difference. One person can make a difference because others join. So the, the scholarships are funded from the proceeds of your books. Yes. 
Wow. All right. I'm going to bring in some, some listeners right now. Uh, we're talking about uh, the importance of women in science and, and, and talking with two women who are scientists, both at 3M, uh, learning about their journeys and about the need for more women in science fields, uh, technology, engineering, and mathematics. In Brooklyn Park, Della is on the phone. Della, thank you for holding and thank you for calling in. What did you want to ask or tell us? No problem. I just wanted to say this is a very inspiring conversation as a hydrologist. Um, Ooh, what's a hydrologist? Tell us about that. I'm a, a water scientist. So okay. my job is to make sure that when they put infrastructure projects in, mm-hmm. we clean the water so lakes, rivers, and streams are clean Thank you. for us to enjoy. Okay. So this is a very inspiring conversation. And I, all I want to say is, girls, if you geek out over math, continue to do that because I did too. And now I own a consulting company and we're just doing the same thing for everybody. And what was your childhood experience like, Della? Were you encouraged, or, and where did you grow up? I was encouraged. I grew up um, in Liberia, West Africa. So when I went back to Liberia, I, when I went to the village, that's where we had water processing issues, mm-hmm. and it struck a nerve in me, and it just stayed ingrained in my brain. So when I went through high school and went to the University of Minnesota, I knew I wanted to do something with water. I wasn't quite sure what exactly it was going to be because um, civil at the time I thought was for train folks, you know, conductors, mm-hmm. and not necessarily for water resources engineering. So um, that's how I got interested through that process in Liberia. And we know in, in many rural communities and, you know, in countries around the world, uh, water is, is, is it's difficult to access uh, clean water yes. to, to purify. Have you seen that? Yes, indeed. I mean, from the laborious task of going to the wells to draw the water and then bring it back and then, you know, heat it to purify it to get the impurities out and all of that. Yes. Yeah, that's happening today. And again, the advice to to girls that you have today, what do you want them to to know? Continue to geek out about math. And (laughs) if there's even anything small that you think is insignificant, you know, that focus on water is why I'm doing what I'm doing today. So stay focused on that. It's okay. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Della, a hydrologist calling us in from Brooklyn Park. Uh, Bridget, you're smiling. What, what do you uh, find encouraging about what uh, Della just shared with us? I, I like the advice that she gave to girls. Geek out over math. I really mm-hmm. like that. And what, what does that mean, geek out? Like, don't be afraid to express your joy over it? That, like, that just, means have fun with it. Keep going fun. and have fun with it no matter what. Right. Um, and and Jayshree, she says she's inspired hearing from you and hearing from Bridget. Yeah, no, I was thinking about you, Gogaldella, because my dad is a hydrologist. And oh. He actually retired as India's uh, National Institute of Hydrology's uh, chair. So <laughs> I was like, this is a small world. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take another phone call uh, from a, a listener uh, uh, in Minneapolis. This is uh, William on the phone. Uh, good morning, William. What did you want to share with us? So, yes, I just wanted to say this is very informative. My story runs very parallel to Bridget, and I just wanted to know. Are you are you a scientist, William? I'm a chemist. I'm a chemist. Applications development. <clears throat> okay. So very similar to uh, Bridget's uh, role. But my question really, and, and I have to jump off for another mm-hmm. meeting, is have you found a way of uh, mentoring um, kids, youth of color, and helping bridge that gap? What have you found to be successful in that? Okay. Thank you, William. Uh, uh, also, a chemist wants to know more about mentoring young people. How do we do that? How, how do we access them and, and, and help them? 
Yeah. So by going to the different schools, reaching out to to teachers, being in the classroom, um, organizations like Nobache, we actually have a mentoring program for the youth in Minnesota. We just started a chapter in Minnesota, so they haven't gotten the mentor mentor program running. But it's, we're a national organization, mm-hmm. so nationally. We have a mentoring program, but it's more about just showing up so that they can see you. They are encouraged when they see you. They see somebody else doing it. They need to visualize themselves being in that same space to know that they can do it. All right. So something as simple as showing up for career. I mean, I see that in journalism, you know, visiting schools myself Mm -hmm. that, you know, that it's just powerful. I remember it as a child in, in Southern Virginia, uh, seeing or meeting a journalist for the first time who was a woman. Um, and any suggestions that you have, um, Jay Shree, think, about mentoring? I think parents have a strong role to play as well. Mm. And I think uh, if parents say things like, well, I am not smart enough to do this, or I don't think science is for me or math is for me, I think it does Uh, create an impression on the young, impressionable minds. So I would highly recommend parents to uh, sort of hold back on saying things like that, but really foster the curiosity that their children have and really encourage them to be curious. Be careful with our words. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Let's take another phone call. Uh, And Edina, Amy is on the phone. Hi, Amy. Thank you for waiting. What do you want to ask or share about science? Yeah, hi there. Um, see, I have a budding uh, scientist. She's nine years old. She is um, perpetually, like, you know, taking things apart on our kitchen table. There's, like, strange things in vials, <laughs> every kind of slime you could possibly imagine. And she's, you know, really interested in how the mechanics of how things work. You know, I guess my question is when, you, when we talk about, you know, the importance of women in science and all of this, like, how do you explain the historical context of why there aren't women, as many women in science, women of color in science, you know, in a way that is empowering and not defeating. Because, I mean, that's, I grew up that way, right? I I have that historical context, but she doesn't. She doesn't think she can't do anything. So how do you, how do you explain that in a way that, you know, is not, um, I guess, is in empowering and doesn't doesn't put thoughts of what are the words? Yeah, going to do so far. Yeah, Yeah. Amy wants to know what are the words? Uh, What do we say, Jayshree? What 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 do you recommend? I always ask my children: uh, Do you want to have an impact? Do you want to change the world? What do you want to do? And we will support whatever it is that you want to do. And I think that empowerment that they feel is so important because like the caller is saying, the world may tell them they may not be able to do something or can't do something. So I think we have to counter those forces very strongly and just do it in a very empowering way. Build them up. Right? Build them up. Uh, Jayshree, I asked Bridget this earlier. How does diversity help innovation? What I mean, like, why do we need more women? Why do we need more people of color working in these fields? Yeah, it's exactly what uh, Bridget said. We need all ideas. We need every diverse perspective. I mean, if we think about it, as you look at the megatrends that are shaping the world, and we do a lot of work on that at 3M, and we can clearly see that in order to solve the challenges that we face, we need every idea on the table. Mm -hmm. We cannot not have that. So it is so important. Diversity is correlated with increased innovation. And think about it. Increasing diversity also gives a positive public perception of science. And we need that. And increasing diversity is also important with increasingly progressive customers. So if you're a company, 
you better have that diversity because people are looking at it. You want to have it for innovation and you want to make sure when you tell people, oh, my products are science supported, that people have a positive perception of science. And how do they get that if they see the diversity reflected in the science community? Mm -hmm. You know, without that, we have a very narrow view of science and nobody wants that. That makes science vulnerable. We've been listening to a conversation I had a couple of months ago about what it's like to be a woman in a science field, overcoming barriers and finding success in research. And we also got some advice for young women, especially young women of color interested in going into science. I spoke with Jay Shree Sate, a corporate scientist at 3M and the company's first chief science advocate. She holds 80 patents for a variety of innovations. Jay Shree is also the author of the book, the Heart of Science, Engineering Footprints, Fingerprints, and Imprints, published by the Society of Women Engineers. And all of the sales proceeds go to a scholarship for underrepresented minority women in STEM. I also spoke with Bridget Shannon, a chemist and a business development manager at 3M's Transportation and Electronics Business Group. She's also the president of the National Organization for the Professional Advancement of Black Chemists and Chemical Engineers. And if you missed any part of today's show, remember, you can find the entire conversation on our podcast. Just search for NPR News with Angela Davis wherever you get your podcasts and listen when it's convenient for you. This conversation was produced by Matt Alvarez and made possible in part by the Minnesota Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For more reporting in the North Star Journey series, just go to nprnews.org slash North Star Journey. Be safe, everyone. listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.